This is Capitalize Your Finances, the show representing you, a select group of excited, ready, and fired up listeners seeking to potentially maximize your money moves and get after it. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek the logical way of likely creating advantages to potentially maximize wealth for our personal and unique situations. This show brings you the step-by-step framework to capitalize your finances in the aspects of your financial situation. And we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions. We are Capitalizers, and this is our show. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Finances. As always, I am your host, Christopher A. Paniotti, the Cap in Capitalize. And today we have a unique, special, legendary guest, if you will, the one and only Nicholas Hutchison, founder of Book Thinkers. Nick, welcome to the show. Chris, there is nowhere that I would rather be, man. I'm so happy that we met maybe a month ago, two months ago, and we've become fast friends, so I can't wait to talk to you today. Oh, it is going to be fabulous. And yes, you have become a fantastic uh, bestie for the resty, as uh, my wife uh, calls you because I, I'm texting you every night now and I'm taking time away from her. And it, it's, it's, <laughs> that part is kind of unfortunate, but once you remove that, it has been absolutely magnificent. And, uh, before we dive into your journey, uh, both just personally, financially, uh, with book thinkers, give our capitalizers at home a brief background into really who is Nick Hutch 101. Sure. So, I'm in the Boston, Massachusetts area. I'm in my late 20s. I grew up playing a lot of sports. So I was a football player. I was a wrestler. I went to college. I got a degree in business with a focus in marketing. And over the last couple of years, I've started to read a lot of books. So Chris, you asked me before we press record, how many books have I read cover to cover? Probably about 500. And they're all nonfiction, personal development, self-help, business style books. A lot of psychology, philosophy, marketing, entrepreneurship, sales, um, health-related books, mindset, happiness, and everything in between. And so outside of reading books, my number one passion is probably travel. I spend a lot of my time working from other countries, exploring the world. I'm a big fan of South America, Central America. I've spent some time in Europe And I can't wait to continue that other passion as well. So those are the things that I focus on. And obviously on a day-to-day basis, I'm running my business, Book Thinkers, which helps authors promote their nonfiction books. And yeah, I'm just a happy guy. Like I'm, I'm genuinely just a happy person who feels fulfilled and on the right, you know, in line with who I need to be. Yeah. You, I mean, if you did sum it up in one sentence, you are a happy guy character. I, I remember telling a couple of my buddies um, about you before, uh, obviously, uh, we we recorded today. And every single one of them was just like, man, Nick has an incredible, happy smile. And he just looks like someone that you want to give a hug to and call your best friend. So, I mean, you're doing it, man. You are doing all of it. And, and, and before we talk in uh, or dive into your business, um, Take us through the actual story of how you created Book Thinkers. You mentioned you graduated college. Obviously, you fast forward today, you've got the company. But I remember when we first met, your story of how you built Book Thinkers and even came about it was is pretty remarkable. So share it with us. Please. Sure. So it is a little bit of a long story. So stop me wherever you'd like uh, to add clarification. 
So well, lucky it, for you, we have an entire podcast dedicated to this. So yes, the do. floor is all of yours, my man. All right, amazing. So it kind of starts back in high school because that's when I realized that I was not a fan of the classroom. I was not a great student. And I was also not a fan of reading books. And although I was capable of doing the work, I just wasn't very interested. I was more of the jock stereotype back in high school. Again, I played football. I was captain of the wrestling team. And those were the things that I I focused most of my time on. (laughs) Now, fast forward to college, same thing. I wasn't a great student. But my first two years at school, I ran my own house painting business to help pay for college. And I hired a bunch of my friends and I did some door-to-door sales. And I started to really enjoy the world of business. And I was capable of doing it. And I knew that I needed to learn more, but I didn't know where that outlet was going to be yet. Fast forward a little bit more. I took an internship going into my senior year at the University of New Hampshire. And it was at a local software company in a sales position. And I started to go on a couple of early sales meetings with one of the sales guys. He was my mentor and boss at the time, the sales director. And on those car rides, he would listen to podcasts. Now, this was a brand new concept to me. This was back in probably 2015, late 2015, and I was just starting to listen to podcasts, I guess mid-2015, and all of the people that were being interviewed on these podcasts were recommending books, and I thought to myself, man, I really want to be like these guys. I'm listening to them, I'm listening to them describe their lives, their businesses. They sound so fulfilled, so happy, so amazing making a positive impact on the people in the world around them. How can I get to be like them? And one of the big obvious missing pieces between me and them was the fact that I didn't like reading books. I found no interest in it. Nobody was talking about it at school. I mean, there were textbooks, but nobody was reading outside of that. And so one day on a lunch break, I went to my local Barnes and Noble and I had a list of books that were recommended on the podcast that I was listening to. And they were all there for the most part. And I grabbed a couple of other books at the same time. Now, I remember being in awe of the business and marketing and sales and memoir sections at the Barnes & Noble store because I had no clue that people were writing manuals on how to succeed in almost every area of life. I mean, I was oblivious to it, but I was a business student, which seemed a little counterintuitive to me. And so I didn't have that much to do, admittedly, at that summer internship the first year. And so I spent a lot of my time reading during that first summer. And some of the first books were Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, The Richest Man in Babylon by George S. Clayson, The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. And these were all personal finance and investing related books because that was a subject that I really didn't know much about. I felt a lot of insecurity around. So I started reading a lot of these books and a couple of my friends started reading these books as well. There was one in particular, his name was Alec, and Alec and I, we had both run house painting businesses, so we were entrepreneurial, but we didn't know what we wanted to apply that interest to after school, so we started a little mastermind group, and we started that mastermind group because of the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which we had both read going into our senior year, and so what we would do on a weekly basis is we would experience our normal week-to-week life. And if something popped up that was an inconvenience, because we were taught that entrepreneurs found an inconvenience in the world and and solved it. So we were looking for inconveniences. And one of the inconveniences that I was experiencing was that my life was getting dramatically better. And 
I was giving all of the credit to books and I was making that very social, but people were asking a lot of the same questions. Hey, what's a good book for this? Hey, have you read this book? What were your biggest takeaways from that book? And that's really where the first idea for book thinkers came from was that slight inconvenience of having to repeat myself and also wanting my, my network to rise with me as I was reading these books. Like, where can I put this information so that other people can consume it? And I, I sort of branched from personal finance into some general habit type stuff, the seven habits of highly effective people. And then I got into some sales books because that sales internship turned into a full-time job and it had a lot of financial opportunity for me right out of school. And so that's, I mean, I started reading a lot of sales books and I'll kind of wrap up this intro level to the story. This is, we're just starting to peel the onion back, I would imagine, Chris, but the thing mm -hmm. that I'll wrap up by saying is that I started to read a lot of sales books and there was this metaphor that came to me, which basically said, okay, there's Nick who exists today, who has a certain level of sales skill and he's succeeding in this role. If this same version decides to read the 12 best sales books ever written in the next 12 months, will he end up selling more than the version who doesn't read them? And it was such a clear, astounding yes to me that if I was able to read the most successful sales books of all time and apply them, I would sell more. So what other areas of my life could I start to apply that to, which we can get into later, but at first it was sales. And it worked and it worked beautifully. And I became the top performing sales rep at that company. And I started to make a lot of money. And money is not the only way that you can quantify the results of reading these books, but it's a very easy way. And it's a very public way to quantify the results of reading these books. And so it was very obvious to me and to other people that there was value in the books that I was reading. And that's, you know, that's kind of how it all started. So I went from non-reader to a super mega reader within the course of about a year. Yeah. Well, and, and I was I was writing all of this down intently. Um, and one of the things that I was going to ask, but you totally answered it, was what got you locked in from a reading standpoint? Because I think people that don't like to read, that suddenly, you know, you go a decade and you don't see them, and, you know, maybe they're a book thinker, or maybe they're just super into whatever it is, there was always some topic that, that hooked you, and then it kind of branches from there. And for you, it's kind of interesting. We're very similar in that regard, because sales is a beautiful thing. It, it's a beautiful thing if it's used prudently. And then you get into the self-help. You mentioned you're, you're a health and fitness guy or athletic guy, and then it kind of all spars from there. Uh, one question that I had that I've been really curious to ask you was, so when you, you already talked about it a little bit, when you truly fell in love with the ideas or the idea of book thinkers, but what did you, when you started book thinkers, mm -hmm. what was your initial game plan? Like, did you, did you wing it? You seemed like a pretty articulate dude from our conversations. Um, was it a little bit of ad-libbing? Like what, what was the process initially? Sure. I had taken some classes on entrepreneurship and I had run my own house painting business. So I feel like getting over some of the initial barriers to entry was relatively easy for me. And I had a little, a little network that was starting to form in this world. And so I think some of the typical things that hold people back that in hindsight are always a lot easier than initially anticipated, like 
legally registering a business, um, creating a logo, creating a slogan, putting up a website. Those things were easier for me than I think they were for the first time entrepreneur because it was my first go round. I had run that house painting business for a couple of years. Um, when I when it first started, it started without a name and it started very informally. I just threw up a website where I started to house some of my biggest takeaways from the books that I was reading. But very quickly, we identified some opportunities in the space that we wanted to go tackle, my friend Alec and I. And eventually we brought my friend Derek in. So the three of us formed BookThinkers as a legal entity in the beginning of 2017. And our initial, our initial intention was to create a mobile application that could help readers retain and implement more information from the books they were reading by enabling them to, to organize their notes in an efficient way and create sort of like a virtual bookshelf that had systematic reminders to go back and review the information that you would learn from these books. Because people would say, hey, Nick, what was your biggest takeaway from Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And I'd go, well, I read 50 books since then. I can't really remember. But what's the point of reading these books if you can't even retain or implement the simplest things from them? So long story short, that mobile application failed. And it failed for a lot of reasons, and I'm happy to dive into them. Mm -hmm. We can pry open that wound and go in there and see what happened a little bit, but it failed. That's the bottom line. And what didn't fail was the social media presence that we were starting to build in anticipation of this mobile application. So although the mobile application never successfully launched and took root and grew into an actual business that was monetized properly, the social media audience started to really grow. And although I was also not a fan of social media at all, in the least, I didn't have any personal socials at the time, I started to enjoy creating content for social media. I started to enjoy helping people through posting book reviews, which is eventually what it involved, uh, evolved into. And um, so those were kind of like the initial stages. But, um, you know, I had a lot of fun creating the name. It actually came from a coworker at the software company, that same sales mentor that took me around and I listened to podcasts. We were looking for available domains one day, one day in the office after hours. And he said, book thinkers, it's available. What do you think of that? And I ran back to my computer and I bought the domain on GoDaddy. And, uh, you know, we used 99 designs back in the day to get the logo done because Tim Ferriss recommended it on a podcast. And so it was all very natural and organic and sort of it, it happened over the course of a couple of months. And then before you know it, we had a legally registered business and we we're off and running to attempt that first mobile application. Wow. So a couple things. Um, number one, <laughs> shout out to 99designs because they helped uh, the Capitalize Your Finances logo as well. It's Unlike logo. you. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and uh, number two, for listeners at home, okay, it is a huge advantage that Nick had the background of the previous business because I can tell you with confidence that when we started Capitalize Your Finances, it was not nearly as rosy and organized. It was controlled chaos. There was a lot of stress involved. Not saying Nick didn't have any, but he had his first go around. So do not think that it is easy. Nick is just so great at making it seem so incredible because he's an amazing man. Now, Nick... One question I did have for you was, and, and you, you were kind of explaining the differences between your first business and BookThinkers, what was the biggest difference in challenge of running BookThinkers 
versus your original home to home or what we would call maybe a more traditional quote unquote business? Yeah, the house painting business, I had a lot of help in coaching around it. So I was part of a larger business that would take care of things like workers' compensation and insurance in exchange for a portion of the revenue that we were generating. And um, the difficulties that I had in that business were organizing multiple job sites being performed at the same time, and it was a physical product that we were delivering. Now, Mm -hmm. when BookThinker started, we were selling you know, intellectual knowledge property, I mean, as a product. And that was difficult to wrap my head around. I mean, some businesses provide a very dedicated service, which BookThinkers does today. But at first we were kind of, you know, we were figuring it out. We were just trying to solve a lot of different problems. Um, The biggest difference, yeah, I think being remote, not having your hands in it on a day-to-day basis, like neither one of us were tech founders. So we tried to outsource the build of this mobile app. And that's why it sort of crumbled. And um, we had no experience with social media either. I mean, although the formation of the business was clean and organized, the, you know, everything else was very organized chaos to use your, your term. Yeah, um, yeah. So we had a lot of stuff that we were learning on the fly. And I'll tell you what, though, we were reading a lot of books on entrepreneurship, and we were reading a lot of books on starting businesses at the same time, and we we're implementing what we were learning. And that helped save a lot of time and a lot of, you know, bruises and bumps and broken bones along the way. Well, and it's your, your company and really you, I mean the, the brand you, it's interesting how you've been able to build yourself by the, the, the process that you just mentioned. I mean, I can tell you when I first started for all practical purposes of building what is now capitalize your finances in 2015, it, uh, similar to you, you keep reading all of these things to get some quantifiable academic research, et cetera, et cetera. But there also comes a point where I was like, oh my gosh, like this is not paying the bills. So then you get out, you network, you hustle. But for, for book thinkers, it all is the same, right? Like if I'm understanding that, because as you're reading these entrepreneurial books, which are academically backing uh, in providing knowledge to you and the growth of your business that also is your networking on, on the same way. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It is. Yeah. It's super, it all compounds together. I totally get what you're saying. And so I'm in a unique position today where I'm reading books as a service that book thinkers provides and implementing the same books into growing my business while networking with the customers and the podcast guests and the readers you know, around my favorite subject. And it all, it's all connected in a way. And by the way, the sales job, the full-time software sales job out of school, which, you know, BookThinkers was built as a side hustle for a long time and they kind of switch positions, which we could talk about in a little bit too. Um, I was learning sales and sales is just communication. It's helping people understand the way that you see the world and trying to understand the way that they see the world and see if it's going to be a good fit. And so all of the sales skills that I was learning in that position have been directly applied to book thinkers. The last thing that I'll mention on that too is that what's really unique is the software packages that I was selling B2B would have to be implemented into the business for four to 12 weeks. And so I followed that process as a reader. Here's something that most people miss. When you read a nonfiction book, you need to spend time 
implementing what you've learned. Otherwise, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. You get really excited, but nothing changes. And so I put these books through an implementation process after I finished reading them, just because it was the same process that I was working the sales job with. So that, yeah, it's all compounded. Sorry, that was a long-winded riff off of what you said, but I get excited about the fact that it's all kind of aligned, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, I, I totally do. And you want to talk about tangents. I mean, the cap and capitalize is all about tangents. So I, I hear you on that. One question I did have, speaking of reading, this is totally off topic, speaking of tangents. Um, when you're reading... Like, for example, if I'm reading something like to maybe write a book, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, um, I will read, I will highlight, and then I will actually write down what I think is most important. Then when I'm done with the book, I will actually go and read my notes over one more time because then it is ingrained in my significantly larger than average forehead. Um, So for you, when you're going through your process, which is totally different, but it's kind of similar because you want it to be a permanent part of you, but you're also branding it. How do you go about that process? I'm, I'm intrigued. It's a great question. And it's changed so much over time, depending on what I need to get from these books and, and how often I'm reading them. I think that monotasking is kind of the primary focus or like one of the umbrellas that sits above this process. So I try to only focus on one thing at a time. So when I'm reading, I will have a highlighter or a pen to bracket things off or highlight them in real time, but I try not to stop and think. I wait until after I'm done reading to go back and stop and think and reflect on what I've read. And that could be after a chapter, it could be after a book. And what I'll do is I will also rewrite those notes from the books. Anything that's highlighted, bracketed, sometimes I'll ignore them. Sometimes I'll find more stuff around that section if I want to go back and reflect and go, I don't fully understand this. So then I'll, I'll kind of have the same thing as you. I'll have a list of takeaways from the book and I kind of label them in different ways. Is it an action item, something that re- requires me to take action on? Is it just a philosophy that I want to think about and review kind of often? Is this a definition or is this something I need to look up and kind of research more? Is it a general note that excites me? Is it something I want to send to a friend or a family member? And so if it requires any type of action, I'll put it into an activity tracker and I'll try to actually implement that activity, which we could talk about in a minute too. And, you know, repetition does lead to retention. And so I've got a lot of book notes And there are times where they're very organized. There are times where they're not so organized. But ideally, I'm going back and reviewing those book notes every so often. So up front, you want to review them as often as you can, maybe daily for a week. Then it kind of moves to once a week. Then it moves to once a month, then once a quarter, then once a year. And just like you're saying, you want to ingrain it into your your above average forehead. And in my case, my above average forehead too. And... um, (laughs) And yeah, you, you know, repetition leads to retention. And I think that's a really big piece of the process. Now, one additional thing that I want to mention is going back to the beginning of the process, I like to set a clear intention for every book that I'm reading because our brains have a filtering system called the RAS, the reticular activating system. It acts as your brain's filter. And so if you set a clear intention for a book, like I want to implement at least 
two strategies to help automate my investing or whatever for the investing book you're going to read. And you review that intention before you start reading. Every time you open up the book, you're going to filter for what your original intention was. You're going to find those takeaways a little bit more easily. And it was funny when I first, um, when I first started reading like books like Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, I would have a hundred things highlighted or underlined or annotated or circled. And what I realized very quickly was that you can't implement in review 100 things because it becomes a little bit of a burden. So I like to look for, A, what's related to my intention and sort of ignore the rest for a later date, or B, what are the 20% of takeaways that can lead to 80% of the impact so that I minimize the amount of time that I'm reviewing book notes and implementing stuff, but maximizing the output. Because there definitely was a point in time where I would spend an hour a day rereading book notes and right. that it became an inconvenience at that point. So, and another question on top of that, because, I mean, this might even be another business idea for you live on air. Have you ever thought about, because what you just said, I wish I had in really throughout my, um, my academic years. So like one of my one of the the things I think about when you were saying about highlighting, I remember, uh, I think it was 10th grade, Mr. Truscott's class, history class. And that was, it was ingrained in me that, hey, you highlight what's important. So I go and I read my first chapter and then I go and look back and I realized I, I highlighted every single word. You could have just had an idiot come and just use it as a coloring book. Like it, there was nothing there. I ended up getting you know, I don't know. I, I probably didn't do well in the quiz. Sorry, Mr. Truscott, if you're listening. <laughs> but it would have been great because what you just said about RAS and really imp implementing and capitalizing on the study uh, success, that would be something that would be magnificent. I mean, has book thinkers ever thought about diving into that? I have a friend who built a business called Ecotext and they're they're getting textbooks to be online, but building tools around them like that. And so maybe there will be a collaboration between book thinkers and ecotext in the future. Capitalizers, this episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. Regardless of where you're at in your financial life, whether you're just beginning to express interest and commitment to your personal finances, at the pinnacle of your career, winding down into retirement, or thinking about your legacy for future generations, this book walks you through every step of the way so you can succeed on your terms and with your own values and passions guiding you. After reading this book, you will officially have Christopher A. Paniotu, the cap in capitalize, in your back pocket, guiding you in detail through every step of the way so that you can take charge of your finances, not the other way around. Head on over to Amazon.com today and start capitalizing your finances to the fullest with this incredible book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. And now, back to the episode. Absolutely. No, that is fantastic. Well, and I, I could go on tangents galore, so do not apologize, but I want to make sure that we get everything in that, that I wanted to and, oh, and go back to your business. So 
in 20 and it's 2017 when you started it or when it went officially live was that the time that you decided you're going all in or did you wait a little until the side hustle uh got going and then you you cut chip or excuse me you cut bait with the previous company and you went all in like a year or two later it took a few years. It did. Okay. I, I I was excited about the idea of going full time with the business, but very early on when we had this beta mobile app, it was actually a website at first where people could log their biggest takeaways from these books. We had somebody sign up named Kevin Horsley and Kevin, I Googled him just cause like we weren't marketing this thing. How did he find it? Who is he? And he was the author of a book called unlimited memory. So I reached out to Kevin since we had his email address and I got on a call with him and he became, we became fast friends, just like you and me, Chris. And I started to meet with Kevin on a weekly basis and he would just, he became a little bit of an informal business mentor. And so I had that question for him very early on, probably late 2017. I said, I'm only dedicating a fraction of my time to this business, but I really want it to be my full-time job. Should I jump ship and go full-time into BookThinkers? And he said, and I'll never forget this, he said, listen, if you do jump off the cliff and try to build your parachute on the way down, you're going to be operating from a place of scarcity because you're going to hit the ground. You're going to be operating urgently, frantically. You're going to make rush decisions. But if you can work in this full-time software sales job, but minimize the amount of time that you're spending there and dedicate more and more and more time to book thinkers as a side hustle, then you can operate from a place of certainty instead of scarcity. You can make better decisions. You can build better relationships without having to close a deal tomorrow because you're not going to make payroll type of thing. And um, I decided to take that advice. He coached a lot of golfers and he said, listen, in golf, every pro golfer has to have sponsors. Why? Because that enables them to actually play golf for a couple hours a day. And the rest of the time, they're doing sponsor stuff, photo shoots, meet and greets, whatever the case is. They don't like that stuff, but they do it so that they can play golf. And he said, consider your full-time software sales job as your sponsor. They're enabling you to do what you really want to do, which is try your hand at entrepreneurship and build this business. And so it, you know, the scales kind of went like this in terms of time and effort. You know what I mean? And I, I had gotten very good at that software sales position to where it was only taking a couple hours a day, max, maybe even down to a couple hours a week. And that's something that, you know, isn't often talked about in entrepreneurship. Sometimes people say, listen, if you don't burn the boats, then you're not a real entrepreneur. I don't agree. I don't agree. I'm happy I did it the way that I did it. Well, and there's so many different ways to skin the cat and, you know, capitalizers know how I feel about cats. And, you know, um, I know there was someone that you interviewed a while ago who we've been trying to get on our show, um, uh, Patrick Bet David and his book on, um, your next five moves, which Patrick, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on to capitalize your next five moves, but Shout I digress. One of the, one of the things that, that he mentions is the intrapreneurial spirit where you work within a company, uh, you, either build up a side hustle or you become an amazing employee and then you spin off and kind of do your own thing. And that, that's actually what, what I did. I think I'm right with you when, um, when you say that in a lot of ways, you said it kind of indirectly, the, 
in order to become a really good employer, you need to master the art of being an employee. And that's not sexy to hear because it's not like, you know, Elon Musk who literally slept at the, you know, YMCA showers or whatever the case is when he was starting PayPal and lived off of pizza and now he's this massive billionaire. That's what gets all of the press. But most people, even the last guest we had, Fahim Anwar, he was very calculated about capitalizing on his comedic financial success. And so for, for listeners at home, I, I hope you get a major takeaway and, and pause it and really let it sink in. It is critical to have a game plan. A lot of these entrepreneurs don't just go in willy-nilly like the Cap Capitalist did. You know, they think about it and, and they marinate on it and then they let that grow and compound. And, and speaking of business, Nick, so going back to two book thinkers. So now you're all in. We've talked about the rosy, positive side. In just about every business, there is that moment where you you jump in, you are reinvesting into yourself, and then the J-curve effect. We talked about this last episode. And then you break even and you absolutely take off. A lot of these businesses, unfortunately, they never break through that J-curve They for whatever reason. And thank God that you did because I we're agree. now best friends because of it. <laughs> but what... Uh, what was the toughest moment that your business had to face? There are a lot of them. You know what's funny, though, is that I never had a moment where I said I'm going to give up. It was always just, oh, that was another hard blow to the face. I'm feeling a little dizzy. But you got to stand back up, and what's the next move? And so I've had a lot of failures. We've had two failed mobile apps. We've had failed book clubs. We've had failed mastermind groups. And it took a long time to find the proper service to offer authors uh, that could provide the most value and give us room to grow and scale. And so the biggest failure, I've had a couple business partners leave the business. And you try not to take it personally. And sometimes it's not personal. But beneath the logical decision making, there's always, they don't believe in me as a leader, they don't believe in us as a business. They don't believe in uh, the ability for this thing to grow and provide value. And that stinks. And sometimes you dwell on it, but um, you know, then you can also use it as a chip on your shoulder and you can push against that resistance and lean into it a little bit sometimes. So I think, yeah, I think business partners leaving the business, you know, you start your business with a couple of friends, they go off in different directions. I brought on another business partner who decided to leave at the end of last year. And um, yeah, it's, it's a weird position. It's a weird feeling. It's a little complicated, but I I think that I've used that as motivation in the best way too. Sure. Well, and that's awesome because one thing that we've seen is there's always like for most people that one big moment where it's like, oh my gosh, we, we need to create the parachute and we've got 100 feet left before we hit the dirt. And yeah. for you, because of how strategically calculated you were um and you've probably blocked out a lot of it too let's be really honest like i don't remember like, half I, of it yeah <laughs> yeah you know if you go back and remember oh yeah that's right even after this recording well your mind is a very powerful tool so it's probably saying nick you don't want to remember any of that and from from a financial standpoint uh and, and this is where 
because this is a financial podcast, of course. Do you remember when you went from day-to-day, barely making it, to, okay, I'm going, I'm going to make it, I'm, I'm all right, and then to that point where you were just absolutely crushing it. Once you got to that point, what did you do to make sure that you capitalized your finances to the fullest? Sure. So going from day to day to like, oh, wow, you know, a little bit of breathing room. I think that was probably late 2020. And that's when I, that's when I, I think, you know, we're on, on track to do six figures in the business for the first time. And it's starting to grow a little bit. And we're figuring out some of these services through repetition and repetition. And then the, the J curve moment, the like, okay, we've got breathing room and a lot of money in the bank type, not a lot. I mean, that's a relative term. So I guess a lot to me at the time um, was actually earlier this year in February of this year, 2022. So that kind of day to day, oh, we're going to make it to, to now <laughs> was still another 18 months or so. And yeah, what have I done to capitalize our finances? Well, I'll tell you what. I have a great bookkeeper who constantly provides great ideas for the business. I think sometimes as an entrepreneur, you want to have your hands in everything, but you're not the best at everything. And so for me, a great representation of that was outsource the day-to-day management of the books, um, hire somebody who understands the business and can provide great strategy, and start to automate um, some of the, the cash flow. As an example, I read the book Profit First. And I started to allocate a certain percentage of money on a monthly basis to an emergency fund for the business. And that was just like a baby step, step number one. But it just, you know, I didn't even notice that the money was missing. You leverage Parkinson's law, which basically states that your money is going to expand to the, or your spending is going to expand to the amount of money you have available. And so I just made that amount available smaller by opening up a separate bank account and automatically transferring a percentage of revenue to it. And um, that created, you know, that created the foundation to start to build from and reinvest from, which was amazing. And so those are some of the things that we've done to, to capitalize on our finances and also reinvest back into the business and start to hire some people. You know, I've hired three full-time people in the last couple of months, like we've talked about, Chris, and um, the team is going to continue to grow, which is amazing. And I think people are the best way to invest your money after getting an emergency fund. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. No, for sure. Or as we call it, capitalize your savings. So for for you, go back to, um, I know it's probably not the the, the greatest title just because like Parkinson's is obviously brutal, but the, the go back to that reference, uh, the, the what, what was it called again? Yeah, Parkinson's know. Law. So Parkinson's Law, yeah. So explain that more. I've never heard that actually. It's, it's typically applied to task management, but it can also be applied to money. So first, let's cover tasks. Okay. Do you remember back in high school or college when you had a week to do a paper? And yeah. if you had divided it out evenly over that week, it wouldn't have been a big lift, but you waited until the last minute, but you still miraculously got it done. Mm-hmm. That happens with our money as well. So typically, if you're given a task and it has a deadline, the task will expand to the amount of time that you give it. And so if you give it a week, you'll get it done in a week. But if you were to take that same test and only give it three or four days, create an artificial deadline, you probably would have gotten it done in three or four days and had extra time to review and tweak it, etc. Same thing happens with our money. 
So let's say that you're making $100,000 a year personally, and all of a sudden you make 120. Well, you just had a 20% increase in the amount of money that you're making, but if you're not consciously paying attention to it, your, your spending will slowly expand to meet the amount of money that's in your bank account, and you'll wake up after year one and go, well, I made 20 grand more, but I don't have anything to show for it. How did that happen? It happens very naturally. It's a normal law in day-to-day life. And unless you consciously take some of that money and reallocate it outside of your normal bank accounts and keep your spending the same that it was, uh, you're not going to have that money. So that's what I do is I take a percentage of money and I remove it from the general bank accounts so that I don't even see it. And if it's not there, I can't spend it. And that's that's kind of Parkinson's law. It will expand. So for you, it's very... Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I mean, in finance, we we obviously know a couple of things. Even if you're not in the industry, you spend within your means. Uh, you try to invest anything above and beyond that. Um, that's where we, you know, capitalize on expenses, capitalize on gap money, which you'll read about here soon. And for you as an owner, that. Because you make it sound very simplistic as far as like capitalizing the savings within the emergency fund of the business. But that can be, I would imagine, pretty volatile. Your business is probably a little interesting because it's service, right? I'm not asking you to disclose like revenue and profit numbers on capitalize your finances, but like 50,000 foot, it's not like you have a, like a construction company where you have a line of credit that you have to live and breathe and die on. And... Until that project is done, you don't get paid. You can't pay back the line of credit. So for you, you're probably at this point now where it's it you per, have a pretty good understanding of what the business is going to be churning out. But for, for you, when you're capitalizing on your gap money, do you do that personally, like on an automatic? So you're like, hey, 10%, it's automatic. I don't need to go in and you know, send the money to whatever, right? Reinvesting the business or, or yourself, or do you periodically just kind of look in the account and go, okay, you know what? Like crunch the numbers, 10% this month, write yourself a check and do whatever. And you move on. Like, what's that process like? I'm curious. So in my, in my personal life, it's automated. So a percentage of the money that I receive from book thinkers automatically goes to a savings account that I, a, rarely log into B, I don't keep the mobile app on my phone. So I don't have access to that emergency fund in the same way that I do my checkings or normal savings or investment accounts because I don't want to see it. It's only there for emergencies in the business. I should automate it. But today uh, on the first of every month, I go back and I look at our revenue and I do take 10% of it. That is the number. And I transfer that just bank transfer that over to a separate account that again, I don't ever look at. I don't keep it on my phone, nothing like that. Now the beauty, and it hasn't always been so perfect, but um, the beauty of of the Bookfinger's business is our services are relatively high margin. And so what we do reinvest is in people and equipment. And I just bought a new website as an example, which don't look at it yet because it's not pretty yet, but in eight weeks it will be. you know, and, and think about this. Instead of revenue minus expenses equals profit, think of revenue minus profit equals how much left you have for your expenses. <laughs> and so that's kind of how I think about it. 
Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I'm paying myself first, like they teach in The Richest Man in Babylon mm-hmm. by George S. Clayson. You pay yourself first. My revenue comes in the door, our percentage leaves, and the rest is what I have to spend. And that's Parkinson's law. You will naturally constrict your spending to what's available instead of allowing it to expand a little bit, not sure. having enough left over at the end of the month to transfer. Well, and that's when, um, I can even tell you when I was, when I was writing my book, I, I was stunned at how much of, how much, that's really bad grammar, how many Americans live paycheck to paycheck, but it's not the ones that are just on tough times. I mean, there's some people that are making 150 and 200 grand a year and they're still going paycheck to paycheck. And I'm going, yes. wait a minute. These right? are the people I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so now that's the actual law that basically backs the financial, I don't want to say reasoning, but terminology as to why people basically spend what they make, which is great. I learned that, which is fantastic. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. You. So yeah, just, just a ahead. brief word on that. What happens is you make a little bit more money. And mm-hmm. so... You go, oh, yeah, I can afford a slightly higher car payment. Or, yeah, I can upgrade my mobile plan. Or, I'll get the pool in the backyard. I'll finance it. Or, whatever those little decisions are that you make, because the money's in the account. It's sitting there. It's not being used. So, you use it. But you got to get it out of the account. So, you're totally right. You're just keeping up with the Joneses and you're spending more money even though you didn't have to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, compounding works in every aspect of your life. If you could sum it up in that. So, so from a, so, so knowing what you know now from a business standpoint, and it's awesome that you are doing everything, not only right, but like above and beyond. Like, I feel like an embarrassingly proud dad. I am proud of you. And, and we've only known each other for like a month. So, but knowing what you know now about your business, what would you have done differently if you were going to start book thinkers from scratch? personally, professionally, financially, give us some thoughts. The first thing that comes to mind is I would pursue revenue as fast as I could. I think sometimes entrepreneurs, when they're starting out a business, they want everything to be perfect. But if your product or service is perfect before you even start selling it, you've made a lot of assumptions that might be proven wrong. And (laughs) I think it might be Seth Godin or somebody like that who says, you know, if it's not ugly by the time you put it out, you waited too long. Or, or if it's not ugly anymore by the time you put it out, you've waited too long. Because in any product or service, you might have one idea of what it's going to look like, but your true target customer has a very different idea, most likely, than what you originally planned. And so get it out there half-baked. Get a dollar from somebody else's bank account into yours, and then collect their feedback. And I would say... With my original idea, we built this entire mobile application and this entire website product and service without ever truly testing it. We made a lot of assumptions and we failed miserably as a result of that. But the way that the true business that exists today started was the Instagram started to grow and authors would reach out and they'd say, hey, Nick, I want to get in front of your audience. You're reviewing books all the time. How much does it cost? And I started to make up prices and I would collect feedback and I would do reviews in different styles and I did hundreds of them. And then we built into other services. And now today, BookFinkers exists as the result of people offering money for services and then constant iteration. 
So yeah, um, number one is get a dollar from somebody else's bank account into your own and don't make any assumptions. Ask great questions, be super open to feedback and iterate from there. That's, that's probably the biggest piece of advice. Don't just sit there and try to sharpen your saw until it's perfect and then you know miss your chance to cut down the tree. One, so if someone was trying to obviously not start the next book thinkers, you kind of want to have that little monopoly in your back pocket. But if someone was trying to do what you did from an entrepreneurial side, from an online business standpoint, what would be some of the tips that you would give them specifically versus what you would have done differently now that, that you know what you know? Great question. I would, I would, so right now I serve nonfiction authors. If I was starting over in the space and, and if I'm giving advice to somebody like me today, I would say find a couple of nonfiction authors and understand their business. What's interesting about a lot of nonfiction books is they are business cards for some type of higher ticket complimentary product or service or business like coaching, consulting, speaking, etc. So sit down with these people. And ask them a lot of great questions. Try to understand the process from A to Z and what they're struggling with the most. And see if you can fill in some of those gaps, if you can help them work for free a little bit. I mean, that's a tough thing to say because I don't necessarily agree with it. But if you, if you want a, a mentor, sometimes you solve some problems for free for a little while. And then you start to ask, hey, how much would you have charged for that? Or just right off the bat, how much would you charge for this if I could solve that problem for you? And start to work with these people. Now... Book Thinkers is kind of funny because it grew from a very large social media following into a service for authors. But I think if I was to start tomorrow, I would not go social first. I would start to be a ninja behind the scenes. And I would just ask my target customer, what do you need help with? And then I would start to solve some of those problems. Yeah, because you, you, it's funny, I was talking to... Um right before we, we were talking uh, earlier today, I had a meeting with uh, the Millennial Investing Podcast, which we're going on in a couple of weeks, which is awesome. And a lot of these companies have grown too fast with the social media side of things. And then they start to get the organic, I would say diehard fans versus basically what you're saying is do not do what I did in the order that I did. And for, for younger capitalizers that are listening, that are looking to get into businesses, Nick and I would agree on this. The best way for you to grow is to get as many organically committed clients in your back pocket. And you just live and die on the sword for these people. And then over time, let, let the social side kind of do its thing. It will go. It will it will come back uh, full force and you will be infinitely more rewarded for it. Because it's just, it's an ego thing. It's an ego thing if all you're trying to do is get a ton of likes. And I think Nick would be the first to tell you that just because you may have a tremendous amount of views on a particular episode, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to absolutely bankroll off of it. Um, Nick, where can capitalizers go to not in a creepy way find you oh man i can't believe our conversation went by so fast i just blinked and it's already been an hour of conversation well i'll tell you what people can go to book thinkers on instagram that's the number one place to find me and here's a message for all your listeners chris 
if you want to capitalize on nonfiction books and you're not sure what to read, shoot me a DM. Tell me what you're struggling with. Be open. I'm not going to share it with anybody. And I'll provide, I might ask some follow-up questions, get some more clarification. But as I mentioned, I've read 500 of these books and I'm also aware of thousands of additional books that could solve one of the major problems that you're dealing with. I mean, we always think that human experience is unique, but the fact is billions of people have lived before us and most of the problems that we face today are human problems that have existed for a long time. And you'd be foolish not to at least try to learn from people that have lived before us and um, can prescribe some solutions to the problems that you're facing. And so hit me up, tell me your problems. I'll make some book recommendations and let's change some lives, Chris. And and yeah, just book thinkers on Instagram for now, I think is the, the number one place to go interact with us. Fantastic. And normally I'd say go to the website, but he specifically said earlier in the episode, don't do that. So that would be really awkward. Unless you're listening in like January and on. <laughs> Okay. Then I know okay. it'll be prettier. <laughs> yeah, and I and depending on when this comes out, you you may capitalizers at home basically give it thirty days and then uh, and then go look at bookthinkers.com. Nick, thank you so much for coming on. And then uh, next year when we're building out the studio and we have it live, we'll have you uh, fly on out here and then we can do another episode with you in person, man. Yeah, and I can't. I, I capitalizers check out uh, Chris. He's going to be on our podcast coming up soon too to talk about his book and. I can't wait for that. So, absolutely, as as can I. And if you guys have any questions at home about Nick, about guests that you'd like to have on the show, any questions, comments, concerns, you name it, you know the drill. Shoot me an email, Chris at capitalizeyourfinances.com, or give me a call at 253-214-3050. If you want to go another way and go through capitalizepodcast.com. And if there's anyone that you are specifically thinking, hey, I'd like to have them on the show, or you'd like to come on the show, if you think you're worthy, which you all are, hit me up that way. So as always, this is your favorite host, Chris Ray Paniochi, The Cap and Capitalize. And until next time, keep capitalizing. The information provided should not be considered specific tax, legal, or investment advice and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. This material is gathered from sources believed to be reliable. However, its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. No client or prospective client should assume that the information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized advice from Capitalize Your Finances or from any other investment professional. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial. Nicholas Hutchinson, Fahim Anwar, and any other individual or company mentioned in this podcast are not affiliated with Capitalize Your Finances or LPL Financial.